Welcome to CPP Chat, an undefined look at what's going on in the world of C++, chatting with guests from the community. But before we get to this week's episode, John has a disclaimer to read. Thank you very much, Bill. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These articles and recipes are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any diseases. Please note, the material on this side is, site is provided for your informational purposes only and is not medical advice. Always consult your physician before beginning any diet or exercise program. Copyright 2020, CPV chat, all rights reserved. So uh, we have two guests on, and what they have in common is that they're both working on copper spice. Actually, they have a few things in common. We won't go into all those things. Uh, so Ansel and Barbara. Ansel Shermershein, I get that kind of right. Uh, and Barbara Geller, much easier name to say. Um, so uh, Barbara and Ansel live near me, well, relatively near me. And uh, so we work on the local user group stuff together. So I know them pretty well. But we are going to get to know them a little better on the show. Um, do we have any topics we want to talk about before we dive into talking about Copper Spice and uh, things related to that? Well, it hasn't been long since our last episode, so there's not much news that's built up. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, for, for regular listeners, yeah, it's been about eight weeks for, for various reasons, uh, including John going on a cruise for, is it four weeks or something? So I have been home about three weeks since November. Wow. So the 1st of November, uh, we went off, we've done meeting simple spots, we've done several weeks of training, and we did four weeks of cruise, and we have been back in the Bay Area like I said, total about three weeks. And we got back Saturday, so I'm still completely scattered about anything and everything. And while we were on the cruise, I couldn't get any CPP cast down there. Oh, wow. So I was really completely no C++ podcasts. And how, uh, people shouldn't have to look like that. That's, uh, that's withdrawal symptoms. That's right. There should be something in the Geneva Convention. Absolutely. <laughs> I had withdrawal symptoms from going on C++ podcasts, so I had to get my fix and go on CPP cast a couple of weeks ago. All right. So tell us about this adventure. So they, they had an idea that they wanted to do a show on conference organizing. Ah. And then they specifically made it. And didn't ask me. And, and they didn't ask John. Because <laughs> unfortunately, you're overqualified. <laughs> what, what they particularly wanted were uh, people that were uh, new to conference organizing. And in fact, they got three of us on who all had done exactly one conference and were preparing our second. So all of that initial uh, panic <laughs> over organizing a conference. So that was you... With C++ on C. Me with C++ on C. And then we had uh, uh, Adi Shavit uh-huh. of uh, Core C++. Core C++ in Israel. And uh, Fred uh, Tingaud of uh, CPPP in Paris. In Paris. In Paris. Okay. All right. Uh, interestingly, my, my call for speakers has already finished. In fact, we should be announcing the speakers very soon. Ooh. Uh, the other two are still running, so... Um, We'll be closing soon, so if you um, if you're listening to the uh, to the podcast version of this, it may already be too late. At least for Core C plus plus, that closes on the fifteenth of Feb. Mm-hmm. CPPPP, <laughs> I think that's too many P's. Too many P's. <laughs> their, their CFPPP is running till the 29th of Feb, so you may still have a chance on on that one, if not the first. All right. So there is kind of almost two seasons of conferences, right? There's kind of the early ones and then there's the uh, fall ones. Yeah. Yeah, although my one, uh, C++ on C, is running a bit later this year in June. Yes. Which is towards the end of that season. Yeah, you, your call for speakers relative to the conferences. So um, are you going to be doing some extra training of speakers or some extra torture of them? You've got to, you have to have some lined up so far in advance. 
Uh, it's mostly because being in a, a seaside town, uh, I think uh, being being in the summer, the, the hotels, if nothing else, get get booked up. Oh, I see. So we wanted to make sure people could plan one in advance, I see. and uh, even just us booking hotels and things for speakers. Okay, great. We may leave a little bit less time next year. All right. So how did the show go? How was it to be the uh, the victim? And no, I mean I didn't mean victim. No, I didn't mean that at all. Uh, guest is what I meant to say. Um, much easier, <laughs> uh, and yet surprisingly, I had more to say. <laughs> cool. Um, so it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So I have started to catch up. I've listened to two of the episodes in this, but I haven't gotten to well one and a half, I guess, and I haven't gotten to them yet. So I'm anxious to listen to that. Yeah. Um, so the basic advice was don't start a conference. <laughs> I did say that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I had a feeling. <laughs> but you'll you'll have to listen to the whole episode to find out to find out the nuances to that. All right. Well, um, it seems like there's a lot of people in Europe who are not listening to that advice because there's lots of. Yes. Lots of conferences going on in Europe. Um, as someone who does a conference, actually a couple of conferences in the U.S., I'm glad there's not a lot going on here. I don't need that competition. <laughs> um, actually, I think it's great. I think I think it's wonderful that there's lots of stuff going on. And, uh, because there's lots of stuff to talk about. There's lots of people who want to talk. There's lots of people who are good at talking. And um, and there's, you know, 5 million C++ programs. So there's a lot of people who should be listening. Wow. Um, so, uh, so that's great. Cool. Um, and you guys made a tour of Europe and talking adventures in Europe, right? Yes, we did. We spent all of March and all of November in 2019 traveling all around Europe, doing lots of conferences. And we also took a lot of time to do local user groups, um, which was really exciting and quite fun. Yeah. So. Well, I try to encourage that as much as I can for speakers to do. I think it's... Mm-hmm. Doing local user groups is going to make you a better conference speaker. Doing local user groups helps the user group, helps the community. So, yeah, I just, yeah. I, I have, we have to send a shout out to the Amsterdam user group that's out there. Yeah. Uh, they've, they hosted us twice last year. And I think we have uh, an opportunity to go back next year. Um, it, it is a fabulous group to speak for. So, and also the Munich group. That was quite exciting too. I've done the Munich group twice, but I've never done Amsterdam. Um, yeah, the Munich group is like, uh, I think there were more people there than there are at C++ now. I mean, that tells you how big the group was. Yes. It was huge. Nearly as many as at CPPCon. Well. <laughs> Munich was the first. Yeah. The, the Munich group was the first place we actually felt like rock stars. Yes. It was, it was a truly surreal experience for computer programmers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. If you're, if you're wanting to do talks, don't don't ignore those opportunities in local mm-hmm. groups. They will make you a better speaker, and yes. and sometimes they are as satisfying as speaking at a conference. It's a lot of fun. Um, so absolutely, don't miss that. And and there is a new group that started up in Eindhoven, so that's also in the Holland area. So for anyone who does like speaking, um, they're looking for brand new speakers. Terrific. So it, the the group formed, I think, about a month ago. And one thing I would say is that, well, at least in Europe. All these groups, the audience will understand English. You do not need to speak Dutch. You do not need to speak German. Um, yes. So, uh, and in fact, I had an interesting conversation. Uh, well, I, I think the, the conversation I initially had was from someone from Russia, but they but I was talking to it with someone from Germany. They kind of confirmed that they probably felt the same way, which is that 
given a choice between reading a C++ book in English ah. or a C++ book in Russian, they would probably prefer to read the English version. Yes. And the reason is um, different translators might pick different terms to do the translating. There's no real standard for what a particular term means. So reading it in Russian may be confusing to you because you don't understand what they're talking about. Whereas if you read the English version, you know that you're getting what everybody in the community will understand. You know, if you use this phrase, that's what we're talking about. But if you had a translated phrase, and I actually had a manuscript once that uh, a publisher had, had given me, and the manuscript was written in German and translated into English. Ooh. And my response was, this isn't worth going forward. There were so many things that were hard to understand. It took me a long time. You'd think it would be easy to figure this out, but it took me a long time to figure out that every time they said array, they meant struct, and every time they said struct, they meant array. Uh, um, they were pretty consistent with that, so you'd think I would have figured that out pretty quick. No. But, in fact, it took me a while to finally realize, oh, that's what's going on. <laughs> but I, if it was just that, of course, I mean, you could do a copy and paste on that, but there was just lots of things. Too much wrong. That, uh, and the, the irony of it is that the person who wrote it, the original author, speaks great English Oh wow! and is actually published in English. But they had written one particular book in German and the publisher hired someone else to translate it. And it was really on the translate. Wow. The original, you know, the book had the author written it in English. It would have been great, but it, it was just, yeah. yes. anyway, my point is just that uh, if you are, if you're in Europe, um, it does seem like people speak English to talk about C++. Yes. And, um, it's not. Um, it was intimidating me. First time I did training in Germany, that's what I was thinking about. So, okay, I better hope they understand. And they did. You know, their English grammar was probably better than mine. So. <laughs> we agree. Yes. Yes. That's terrific. Uh, so what's what else is going on? Um, oh, uh, speaking of CPP cast, they had Sean Baxter on. Mm-hmm. And it's really important for us to point out that we had Sean Baxter <laughs> on this show before they had Sean Baxter on that show. <laughs> And the reason it's important to point that out is because that's almost never true for any guests. <laughs> that, that is true. We've done theirs before yours. Yes, that's right. Yes. And in fact, I'm pretty sure there are people who think the way we get guests is by watching that show and seeing what different. <laughs> yes. That's not true. That's not true. We come up with those independently. We're just slower than they are. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. So anyway, no, we had Sean first. And uh, I haven't heard that interview yet either. So I'm looking forward to hearing that. Um, so what else is going on? Uh, ACCU 2020 um, announced their schedule. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. So right. you can go and check that out. Yes. Lots of great talks as usual. Yeah. ACCU is a great conference. Um, what else is going on? C++ on C. Workshops have announced. Main talks announced. Um, uh, no, not, not quite yet. Uh, so the workshops have been announced. About to be. The, the main talks are yes. about to be announced. I'm just trying to finalize the schedule, which... It's always that last bit that's, that's the hardest where you've got to make the final choices. But, right. Um, trust me. I'm well aware. Yeah. Um, so what are the workshops? Workshops? Well, I don't have that to hand, but off the top of my head, uh, we have uh, uh, Klaus Siegelberger from the Munich User Group. Uh-huh. Um, we have... Um, Sorry, I shouldn't ask you this, because the one you forget is the one you're going to be really embarrassed to say. <laughs> I, I might have to look this up, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, are these two days or one day? Uh, one day. One day. Okay. We have uh, Nick Hojasitas back. Cool. We have uh, Rainer Grimm. Uh-huh. And, and also uh, Claire McRae. Ah. Oh, really? Who we had on fairly recently. Yes. Uh, she's going to be doing a workshop with Llewellyn Falco. 
which is interesting because uh, Llewellyn is the one who uh, first invented um, approval testing, which is uh, one of Claire's big right. big things at the moment. So right. that's really going to be a workshop to uh, to watch, I think. Cool, 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 cool. And still plenty of time because it's not until hmm. June. That's right, yeah. Yes. All right. Um, and um, so if you could get your company to send you to that, then you could hang around an extra couple of days and enjoy the... Uh, Free days this time. The beautiful summer seaside uh, on the English Channel, right? Yeah. Uh, what else is going on? I just wanted to briefly mention, we won't take up too much time, but... Uh, I did a uh, the blog post in a video recently for, for JetBrains uh-huh. um, on using C-Line with Docker, because uh-huh. I know that's something that a lot of people are interested in, uh, particularly useful for working with multiple toolchains or just getting a reliable, um, kind of reproducible toolchain on, on many people's desktops uh, by running it in Docker, mm-hmm. running the, the toolchain in Docker, but C-Line outside. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, knocked up a video or a blog post, whichever way you prefer to consume it. But also as part of that, um, it, it, we're using the re- remote development workflow for that. Uh, we have a number of ways to do remote development, and I'm sort of collecting use cases now for uh, additional remote development workflows that we can uh, perhaps work on or, or see if we can make make a bit better. So an appeal to people. So if someone's doing something interesting, they can send you an email. Yes, yeah, or if they'd like to do something interesting. Okay, okay, all right. Uh, so the idea is that uh, I only need to have my, the kind of machine that I want to work with. And then I use Docker. If I want to write portable code, I use Docker and have, I mean, if I want to work on a Windows machine, then I can use Docker to have a Linux machine or something like that, right? That's the idea. Yes, although you can do that with WSL as well. Okay, I don't know what WSL is. (laughs) We did switch all of our CI to use Docker. Right, right. Oh, yes? Yeah. It's fantastic. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Docker is something I've been getting into a lot recently. It really changes the way you think about these things. It was extremely cumbersome to maintain that many VMs sure. on, our, on our CI build. So switching everything over to Docker. What makes it really advantageous is if you want to try something off the wall, you can just start another Docker um, instance and then make those changes. And if it doesn't work, you just trash the Docker and start over again w- without having to reconfigure the VM. Mm-hmm. So we could do a whole show on, on Docker. You could. But <laughs> that's not this show. Yes. You could <laughs> talk more about that. <laughs> Sounds like that may be in the mic. Maybe. Yes. Here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. So you said you've got, um, you did both a blog and. A video about this? Yes. Cool. Well, I, I did the video and then I was asked uh, to do a little blog to sort of introduce it. And I ended up basically rewriting the contents of the video in the blog. Okay. Because I know some people prefer to read, some people right. prefer to watch the video. So okay. yeah. you can choose. Yeah. Choose your own adventure. All right. So you'll put mm-hmm. a link to those in my show notes then. I shall, yes. Cool. Okay. All right. That sounds great. Uh, what's else is going on? Oh, the Meeting C++ survey. That's right. Jens has a survey out, ah. and I, I think he's just inviting anybody and everyone who's a C++ programmer to please take a few minutes and answer some of the questions. Ah. That's right. Yeah, and uh, because it's so quick fire to, to get through them, he's building up a lot of really interesting data sets already. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Um, the, the, the problem is, of course, you know, you don't know exactly – it's not a truly random sample. No. It's people who have responded. Responded. Uh, so there's going to be people who are a little bit more uh, attuned to what's going on. 
because they've seen that mm-hmm. there are fewer dark matter programs. But <laughs> if you uh, if you want your opinion heard, please take the survey because it's not going to be ignored. There's a lot of people who are going to be interested in, in the results. There's a lot of different kinds of questions too. It's it's a lot of different hmm. um, different things. It didn't take me very long. I thought it was kind of fun and interesting. So uh, I was particularly interested to note that uh, in in that survey. When asked about unit testing frameworks, uh, Catch is only just trailing uh, Google Test. Hmm. It's the number two test framework for C++. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very good. All right. Um, so let's talk about Copper Spice. Okay. Hmm. Yes. Um, Copper Spice is filling in the pattern that uh, Barbara and Ansel have established that if they don't like something, they start all over from ground zero with it. Um, <laughs> So I'm surprised they aren't running their own Facebook program because you know, <laughs> all the problems with Facebook, right? Uh, so Copper Spice came really, though, from your desire to be able to write. I think Barbara was really the one who wanted to write yes. cross-platform GUI in C++. Yes. And I was definitely, yes. And you were looking at options for that. So tell us the story. I had been a GUI developer, and originally my work was only on Windows, and I realized that was very limiting and it was not in C++. So I wanted to make the jump. And the problem is I couldn't really find a GUI uh, set of libraries that uh, would work with C++. And Ansel was watching me struggle quite a bit, not with just C++. It was with the idea of why don't we have these tools available? Yeah. And so... <laughs> I yeah. think you tried to strangle yourself a couple times. It, it was really painful <clears throat> yeah. to watch. There, there were a lot of toolkits out there at the time. Mm-hmm. They all had glaring issues. Mm-hmm. Um, none of them were really good modern C++. Some of them worked better than others, but they were all just frustrating to mm-hmm. use from the standpoint of somebody who I, I had never worked on a GUI application in any serious way. All my stuff mm-hmm. had been demons. So I was used to you know, just using the standard library and POSIX and that was it. Mm-hmm. And it was just astonishing how much baggage <laughs> came along with most yes. of these systems. Most of the GUI libraries that are out there, the problem has to do with they don't conform to just C++. You, you kind of have to go around the barn sideways. So we started Copper Spice it's progressing, and the idea is to making it make it that actually it will leverage the standard library, make it be a library that a standard C plus plus programmer would understand right away. Um, that the nomenclature and and how you instantiate objects or use templates fits into the C plus plus paradigm. Right, because I think a lot of GUI stuff is still locked in kind of the '90s and not yes. modern stuff at all. Yeah. Um, you know, this is where I grew up. So this is my area. <laughs> I do, you know, the exact opposite of Ansel. All of my work was GUI stuff, most of it Mac. Mm-hmm. And in the '90s, this is what people were talking about: is there a way to make yeah. this cross-platform? And the attempts to do so were always kind of a, um, you know, least common denominator kind of thing. Nothing was ever really. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, successful, and um, but um, but that's that's what our, that's what we're trying to get to with Copper Spice. Are you using on a particular platform? Are you using the native OS drawing elements? There's a lot of complexity around that. It depends on the platform. Mm-hmm. Certain platforms provide more ability to use their native 
um, UI paint system mm-hmm. than others. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, on Linux, there is no native UI. Okay. There's just X11 or Wayland, so there's there's nothing to, to fall back on there. Mm-hmm. Um, OS X actually has a really rich set of features for drawing native widgets with a custom UI. Mm-hmm. And so we make use of that. In Windows, it's sort of a mix of both. Um, but part of the, the difficulty is that not all widgets exist natively on all platforms. Mm-hmm. And you particularly notice this um, when you look at Windows versus Mac. The, the common subset of widgets is actually pretty poor. And so a lot of widgets have to be drawn and look native, but they actually don't exist as a native control. So there's a lot of work in there to to get that to feel reasonably native. Okay. And uh, what uh, what platforms do you support? Well, um, we are on uh, Linux, Windows, and Mac. In our CI, we have uh, 16 different uh, platforms and variations. Um, everything from um, Ubuntu to Debian to Arch, Gentoo. Uh, we're on two different versions of Mac. On Mac, we are driven more by Xcode and what it supports. We just had to drop one version and upgrade um, just so that we could be on newer versions of the of Apple Clang. Mm-hmm. Uh, Windows, it's a little bit easier being with Windows 10, but we actually still build binaries for <laughs> Windows 7 mm-hmm. just so that we can uh, support a 32-bit environment. Um, CI, we actually have two CI machines right now. Because um, it's it, building takes a while on a lot of different platforms. So, but it doesn't sound like there's much mobile support. It's desktop stuff. Right now, it is on desktop. We are in the process. Uh, we have somebody on the Copper Spice team who is looking at what it's going to take. We want to make some interesting choices on mobile, and there are some. I think Android is going to be our main focus mm-hmm. on mobile. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Um, it's not actually as complicated as it sounds. Um, it is just about an, adjusting how you start up an application is, is really where the issues are. I see. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that, and I said, this is, you know, this is my background, mm-hmm. trying to do this stuff and seeing people, again, many years ago, uh, trying to write code that would, you know, just seamlessly work on the Mac and Windows, which at that time, that's pretty much what we were looking at. Mm-hmm. Uh, Linux at that time was almost never, somebody's desktop was almost always a server mm-hmm. kind of solution. Um, or Unix in general. I should say. Yes. Um, but one of the kind of conclusions that I came to was that the, the way to make a cross-platform app is to make as much business logic as possible that has nothing to do with the user interface at all and really build a custom user interface on each platform. Because I never saw anyone who was really successful in it. And the problem is not just, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, you, can make, you can make a window that works exactly the same way on both platforms. You can do that. But the problem is the user's expectations are that windows aren't yes. exactly the same behavior on both yes. platforms. Because people from a Windows world want it to work windows ish mm-hmm. And people in the Mac world, of course, are, are religious bigots about how it works on the Mac. <laughs> um, and so that's why I uh, that's why I kind of figured, you know, the way to do this is to is to essentially give up. And by that, what I mean is um, make the make the application logic as portable as possible, but consider the UI essentially a driver, which is going to be 
custom written by someone who's an expert on whatever that platform is. Um, but you don't need to do that. Your your code doesn't need that. Your your philosophy on a thin application is exactly what we used to do years ago. Yeah. I mean, I, I do understand of keeping the business logic and the GUI separate. With Copper Spice, no, you, you don't need to do that. Um, if you want to see a, a demo of how Copper Spice works, our kitchen sink application, which binaries are available from our website, it is the same application um, whether we compile it for Mac or um, or Arch or Debian or Windows, it's the exact same source code. There are a few places where you might want to do something specific, um, and you can, but the GUI itself, it is the same. You write it, and then um, you compile it on that platform, and it works. Along a, along a related direction, yes. though, um, one of our goals for Copper Spice is mm-hmm. to make it more of a federation of libraries yes. rather than a framework. And the reason that's important, it touches on what you said. Uh, for example, uh, Copper Spice is the, the whole uh, set of, of uh, code, but there are also separate libraries like CS Signal. If all you need is the signal slot delivery mechanism, that's a separate standalone library. So you could have some of your backend code that only needs to be able to emit signals. And it just links with CS Signal. And then you put a Copper Spice GUI on top of that, and it interoperates seamlessly because under the hood, they're using the same mechanism. Mm-hmm. So the idea is sort of to make it more of an a la carte model, where you pick the particular libraries that have the functionality you need for that component. And then when you put all your components together, they come together in a unified system. Well, one, one of the things that I kind of experienced, I mean, maybe you can figure it out logically mm-hmm. thinking about it, but it, but in practice it also followed through was that when you try to do what you call the, the thin client model, yeah. try to make the, the business logic as portable as possible and then put mm-hmm. the UI uh, on top of that. One of the nice things about that is that you ended up with a better architected end product because you had a really... More testable as well. Mm. Yes, more testable, but you, but you had a really clear definition of mm-hmm. this is GUI, this is mm-hmm. business logic. Because in practice, when I worked on apps mm-hmm. that weren't that way, you know, it was going to be a Mac app. And, you know, we would essentially try to do that. Yeah. You know, oh, here's GUI and here's... But things would leak. Abstractions would leak in. Yes. And you end up designing your business model around the fact that, well here's the data structure that you're going to want to display this with and things like that. So you, whereas, um, you know, I, I did a project where the backend was done in one language and the GUI, this was on the Mac. Mm-hmm. And so the backend was done completely in C++ and the GUI was done in, uh, in Cocoa. Uh-huh. And the fact that they were different languages. And in fact, although we had a single team working on it, there were people who were more Cocoa-ish and more C++-ish so they tended to be. But, but this division made for a better architected app, actually, because we we did a better job of abstracting business logic and GUI. And uh, that, in my previous experience, those things where you try to do it, but then over time, it would kind of leak a lot of abstractions both directions. That, that also becomes the problem. So now you need a team that understands what works on Mac, what works on Windows, what works on Debian. So... You sort of tie yourself into, I need the C++ team and all these different GUI people. The idea that Ansel was touching on is that Copper Spice is not a framework, but a set of libraries so that you really can focus on writing the code in C++, develop the GUI, 
and you don't have to to spend your time and you don't need a team that then understands how to make those specific tweaks for a specific platform. Um, it, it, it is an approach that we're really targeting Copper Spice for the C++ community. And, and so that all you need to do is learn C++ and use Copper Spice as a library, not as a framework, because it, it is a complete paradigm shift in terms of where some GUI libraries go. Because mm-hmm. um, most systems, they want to be a framework. And we've had people ask us the difference between a framework and a library. And it is terminology that's, it's a little touchy, but the framework idea is that it's driving the application. Mm -hmm. With a library, the developer is driving, and you're just asking the library, hey, do, do this for me. So it's a completely different approach. Yeah. Yes. No, I, I completely understand. Yeah. It's it's the yeah. Um, and in fact, that allows for um, more flexibility. Yes. In in the in the overall design, because otherwise you're kind of locked into the things that the framework. Mm-hmm. You know, you can do anything that the framework yes. maker originally envisioned you being able to do. Mm-hmm. And if you ever want to do something outside of that, <laughs> you're fighting the framework. You are. Because it just didn't support that. So uh, let's talk about some other stuff. Although uh, you did say something that I wanted to follow up on. You said something about uh, the Copper Spice team. Yes. Uh, is is Copper Spice some big corporation with thousands of engineers working for it? <laughs> well, I, I, I kind of get that impression. I, I don't know if it's thousands of people. I see. But um, <laughs> when, when we were in uh, Berlin at Meeting C++, we were having a chat with somebody, and she mentioned their team has like six people. And I said, well, our team is kind of getting a little bigger. And she was startled. And she goes, I thought it was the two of you. And I'm like, no, we we have about 10 to 12 uh, people right now. Um, maybe that's not huge. Um, we do get approached. We had somebody at CPPCon run up to us and said, can I join? And it's like, of course you can join the team. Um any developer who wants experience with an open source project, has a little spare time, um, wants to make some changes, we're happy to work with beginners, advanced people, any level. Um, but yeah, we are a team. And that's part of the reason why you were making the trip to Europe, or the trips to Europe, yes. right? Was to meet people yes. on the team. Yes. Uh, yeah. Because I think a lot of your team is European. We do have an amazing amount of people in Germany and Holland. Uh-huh. And... Um, we're also it's just it it is amazing the number of people that have come up to us recently and said you know i'm i'm going to to submit a pull request um i have this one little thing and the truth is it doesn't matter if it's one pull request or it's an entire library you want to add to copper spice it's all good um okay. we actually have relinquished um moderator rights or what whatever it actually is termed is we don't actually control every single library with copper spice and we let other people take over um so can you give us some examples of libraries that other people have done that are uh, the crypto um, yes yeah, so yeah. um one of the things that we have is we have a contributor who's taken over maintainership of the networking library 
that's part of Copper Spice. Mm-hmm. It's in need of some modernization. And as part of that process, he's developing what's going to be a standalone library, which is a cross-platform modern C++ crypto API wrapper around various platform-specific um, other libraries. Like you've got, there's so many. You've got the Secure Transport on Mac. You've got OpenSSL, so many different versions. And many of them have complicated APIs and not all of them are very natural. So we need a... Right. And if you don't get that right, you really pay. Yes. I mean, this isn't a place where you want to make these kinds of Mm -hmm. mistakes. The the nice thing is the crypto library will be a standalone BSD library that anyone can use. And Copper Spice will use the crypto library in the networking library. So we're creating... um, a wealth of information and an advantage for somebody who just wants the crypto library, but then somebody who's using the network library in Copper Spice, they get the the benefit of everything. And, and as you touched on, I mean, yeah. crypto is an area where APIs really matter. Yeah. If you look at a lot of the security holes that have happened, they're not problems with the underlying crypto library. They're problems in the way a developer has used the library. Mm-hmm. And so if we can make a, a more type-safe and uh, resource uh, allocation-safe interface around crypto, I think we can improve the security profile of the typical application that just needs to open an HTTPS connection. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. That's great. Um, so what are some of the other things that we want to talk about outside of uh, Copper Spice? You guys also... Uh, work on DoxyPress, and, and the story here is that you wanted to document. It's the same story, right? You wanted to, yes. <laughs> you wanted to do something, and the tools you found mm-hmm. didn't meet your standards. I um, spent early on. It's like, okay, we need to start documenting. There's a couple of good documenting programs, and I attempted to run them. And after about two or three weeks, I just kind of gave up in terms of they would not document the templates, the the actual code we had in Copper Spice. It didn't work. Um, we tried a couple of avenues to improve the product. That didn't work. We realized it needed a major overhaul. So we kind of put Copper Spice down a little bit for about a year and developed DoxyPress. Um, we then had to go back and forth between the two because DoxyPress does use Copper Spice for its GUI if you're using the DoxyPress app. But all of the containers and everything that we, we use in, in the DoxyPress program, those are also part of the, the core library with Copper Spice. And so what are you talking about, the DoxyPress app? Can you use it without that? Yeah, you yes. can. Uh, the DoxyPress app is just sort of a wizard interface. All it does is give you a nice UI for generating a config file and running DoxyPress. DoxyPress itself is a command line program that just consumes a config file and looks at your source code and generates output. Mm-hmm. I see. But there's a little over 300 settings you can use with DoxyPress. You need about 10 to configure the program. But if you really want to adjust all of it, Again, it's it's a JSON file, so you can do it by hand. Um, as a GUI person, I like using DoxyPress app to configure the project because then I can use drop downs and and all the standard GUI controls that I'm used to. 
So what kind of output do we get? I mean, first of all, in the format, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, what what are the data data file formats? And then we can talk about what kind of output it looks like. Sure. So we have a bunch of output formats. Um, there's HTML. It comes in several different flavors. You can generate CHM help. You can generate uh, various help that can be consumed by different IDEs. There's also uh, LaTeX output. There's PDF done through that. There's also XML. There's R- RTF. Uh, RTF, yes. RTF, man pages. Um there's several different outputs, um, so you can select whatever output format you want. Um, but I will mention that DocsyPress doesn't just deal with C++. Um, it can document C, it can document Fortran. There's quite a few languages that you can use as an input. But the majority of... Wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. I'm sorry? There are languages other than C++? I know. I, I'm sorry to have to break <laughs> this to you. Um, we can... Yeah. And, well... Actually, it's nice that we can handle Objective-C, C, and C++. Yeah. Um, so we, we take all of that into consideration. Mm-hmm. Our main focus is maintaining the, the C++ side. Um, as C++ gets a little bit more complicated with C++ 20 and beyond, documenting is going to be more complicated. It is not just a matter of a simple little parsing and presto, you're done. There's some stuff you have to do to be able to parse the files and the comments and pull everything together. And with C20, we're gonna and and modules and things like that, we're going to see documenting programs uh, need to be improved a bit. And okay. yes. Well, we're adding things like uh, contracts. Contracts, yes. But we're also adding things like Concepts. Concepts, yes. Which is a whole new thing. Of, yes. You know, documenting concepts and what's depending on those. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So what exactly am I getting when you say document this program? Uh, what What does that mean exactly? What is my, <laughs> what does the documentation look like? Well, it's documentation that will probably be familiar to anyone who's ever looked at API docs for mm-hmm. anything online. It looks pretty similar to what you expect. If you just turn on a couple of options, even without putting any comments in your code whatsoever, it can extract the entire public API, generate API documentation, and you can also check one box that will turn on the source browser Mm -hmm. so you can cross-reference from that documentation into the source files where all the items are declared, walk through the source code, click on some function call, it'll take you to the documentation for that. Um, So even without actually doing any work documenting within a few minutes, you can have at least a a skeleton API documentation set. Okay. This is, yeah, this is really a good thing. We've had people come to us saying, I just inherited a new project and there's nothing. I have no idea what I'm looking at. And so we said, well, just run DoxyPress on it. And he did. And he's like, now I have a tree structure. Now I can see. Um, He was aware that there wasn't docs inside, there were no comments added, but he could see the flow of the program. All right. Yes. So when you're talking about comments added, yes. you're, you're talking about of a specific format. Mm-hmm. So the DoxyPress will understand, mm-hmm. oh, this is a comment that I need to document mm-hmm. in a certain way or, or something. What, yes. How, how does that look like? And what's the effort involved and what kinds of, what kinds of things am I going to be doing if I wanted to uh, do a good job? On that stuff? <laughs> there is a plethora of commands you can use and 
the amount of effort you put into the documentation. You can embed it in your code, which is not actually what I prefer. I like the documentation in a separate text file. Um, that keeps the source code nice and clean. Um, and then there are ways of referencing everything. So saying that I'm documenting this class or this method, and then it all gets pulled together. For Copper Spice, we do that with the API. We have a separate set of text files that then reads the header files and it links the comments all together based on the syntax you've used. But we also have another document with Copper Spice. It's our overview documentation. That has nothing to do with source code. That is just writing text files that actually give the user information. So if somebody is starting out with Copper Spice or just wants to know more about it, they can look at our overview docs and there's tables in there that says like what platforms we're on or how you would compile or where you would download things. So we're leveraging DocsyPress in two entirely different ways. Um, and the overview docs become very readable and maintainable by using the DocsyPress formats. And Isn't there an issue with keeping things in sync? I mean, it seems like mm-hmm. I make a change to my API and I forget about the documentation. I, I can't imagine a software engineer forgetting <laughs> about documentation because every software engineer I ever met always makes sure the documentation is complete and correct before writing any code. Yes. But I'm just saying in a hypothetical situation, sure. might it not be difficult uh, to keep these things in sync? There are actually some settings you can turn on, which we've actually used on Copper Spice when accidentally that happened to us. Um, Hard to believe. Uh, it is it is stunning. It's but so we, rare. <laughs> we changed part of an API so fast I, we didn't keep the docs up. So we turned on some settings, and by, outputting, uh, by looking at the output, it would tell us where the documentation was out of sync, like we had changed um, parameters. We were no longer passing something that was const. Um, Now we were passing an R-value reference. So you can look at that output and you can see the differences. And um, then you can sit there and you can uh, decide, you know, where the problem is. I would say 99% of the time it's the documentation, but we actually found a few places that we messed up something in the API itself. So it's really just an output that says, these don't agree anymore. What do you want to do? So obviously you turn those off uh, when you're actually releasing the documentation because it does make the the documentation a little bit larger and cumbersome. So, So it's really just for evaluation. So even for the documentation, we have Mm -hmm. both a developer build and a release build. (laughs) Well, I would say... And tests. I would say there's some test settings. You can leave them on. It's it's not inappropriate comments. It's just, um, it adds a lot of extra stuff. Yeah. And, and actually, yeah. if you if you need a developer in a yeah. release build, there's actually a tool where you can mark certain methods as internal. Yeah. So you can generate a public API mm-hmm. with those methods removed, and then you can generate your own internal documentation that includes mm-hmm. their information. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's a lot of tools there. Um, yes. So are we going to be able to throw away Boost Book and just replace uh, <laughs> the Boost documentation with Boost it, it is. It is our hope. Um, that, that somebody on the Boost team, um, we've worked with a few people who have looked at this and um, they, are, they are looking into it. I, I think it would be a good move. Okay. So, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Cautiously optimistic, yes. All right. Yes. Well, um, so speaking of Boost libraries, let's talk about uh, LibCode. <laughs> 
Well, the, the first thing to mention about LibGuarded is we actually changed the name ever so slightly yeah. from LibGuarded to CS LibGuarded because we already had CS Signal, CS Paint, and CS String. So we decided LibGuarded needed to sort of match the names. Um, so other than a name change, um, that, that was the, the biggest thing about it. That is that is Ansel's. Okay, so explain what the heck this is. Yes, sure. So uh, CS LibGuarded <clears throat> grew out of some work that we were doing on Copper Spice, as most of our projects do. Mm-hmm. We were working with some multi-threaded code in the kernel of Copper Spice, and we were having some discussions and some design reviews. And Barbara was coming from a viewpoint; uh, she had done more database-oriented work, where you lock a record. You lock a table. You always lock a thing. Mm -hmm. And I was coming from a C++ point of view where you lock a mutex, which has no real meaning. It's just a thing that you lock. Right. This is this is one of the things that's always made me feel a little uncomfortable is when we lock a mutex. That is entirely a convention. Yes. A mutex is a mutex of this vector or of this thing. And there's no mechanical way of knowing what the mutex is supposed to protect. We just know somehow, maybe it's documented, maybe whatever, that that you don't make a change to this without owning the mutex. There's actually none enforceable in code, and in fact, it's not even detectable in accepted code review, a human looking at this and saying, wait a minute, this is supposed to be protected by this mutex. There's no actual relation in any way. That was that was sort of our discussion. Uh, we It was a little louder in the office, I will say, <laughs> as I was like, what are you locking? And it really sounded like a conversation of on who's on first, you know, and it's like, um, what are you locking? The mutex. What does it protect? Where's the data? And then a light bulb went on over Ansel's head at which he said, oh, oh, my God. And I said, wait, we're C++ programmers. We know how to build abstractions. Why not build an abstraction for this? So LibGuarded grew out of the idea of why don't we just encapsulate data with a mutex that protects that data Mm -hmm. and provide methods that don't... So instead of having a vector and a mutex, we now have a single structure that has the vector and the mutex both in it. Mm -hmm. And you can't get to the vector until you lock it. Yes, exactly. And so that's the very simplest class. That would be a guarded vector. And then... Now, how does that work then? I mean, what is it... Because if I lock it and I somehow returns a, a reference to the vector or something like that. Yeah, so... Um, the guarded, but if I unlock it, I still have the reference. I mean, you can't take it away from me. No, no, you don't. No, no you don't. No, you don't. So when you lock a guarded variable, uh-huh. what you get back is a handle. Uh-huh. The way you unlock it is by releasing the handle. I see. So the handle acts like a smart pointer, and when you let go of it, then the resource is released. So you can't get it wrong, and you know unless you like take the address of the object that it points to. But it, yeah, yeah, yeah. you can always shoot yourself in the foot if you try hard enough. The really neat thing about this is that this idea generalizes to a whole taxonomy of ways of working with shared data in a multi-threaded program, even to mm-hmm. some mechanisms that are lock-free which is pretty neat. You can do certain lock-free constructs without really having to do a whole lot of proofs on a blackboard that you got it right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was very interesting about CS LibGuarded was 
we, the library was developed. We needed it um, because we had a race condition in some stuff we were doing in signals and slots at, at a very deep level. And we went to put it in and it didn't work because we kind of forgot one piece, which then Ansel went and added. Because it turns out it's really, really easy in multi-threaded programming to very effectively turn a race condition into a deadlock. Yes. That, that's always a very simple transformation to do. But actually making it correct is a completely different <laughs> thing. Yeah. Um, so that's why LibGuarded also has a set of RCU classes. And the RCU classes stands for Read, Copy, Update. It's a way of dealing with containers of data in a multi-threaded program. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, real briefly, the property that the LibGuarded RCU list has is if you're iterating over one of those containers, absolutely nothing that any other thread does will invalidate that iterator, up to and including destroying the container you're currently walking. And that was the property we needed yes. in order to make Copper Spice work. So you can be walking a container that is in the process of being destroyed by another thread and everything is consistent. Because the destruction doesn't happen until you're actually finished with your as long as long as you have it locked, um, you, it, it exists is what you're saying. As long as the particular piece of data and everyone after it in the container is needed, mm-hmm. then that segment of the container isn't destroyed. So this allowed us to get rid of the race condition and the deadlock that we had created in um, handling signals and slots. So our signal slot library uses a libguarded, and all of this is used in Copper Spice. So anybody that's doing multi-threading should be using CS libguarded because it is a way to ensure that your threading is done correctly. Even if you're not using Copper Spice, um, CS libguarded is, is a library that, that should be used. So um, when you submit this to Boost, is it going to be <laughs> Boost LibGuarded or Boost CS LibGuarded? We'll, this- we'll, we'll have to talk to the person who is doing that submission on how they want to name it, <laughs> who, whoever he may be. So, All right. Yes. All right. Um, but it is a standalone. Yes. It is a standalone. Yep. Completely it is a standalone. standalone. Um, and, and I will mention that all of our libraries, and in fact, Copper Spice, everything was migrated to C17 um, as of about six months ago. So we, we made that move. So all of our third-party libraries, all of the standalone BSD, all of Copper Spice, everything is tested and running with 17. Meaning it's working with 17 or meaning it requires 17? It requires 17. I see. We, we, made, we made that choice. Um, Several years ago, we had to make the choice to move to 14 because of some type trait problems. Uh, The team as a whole decided it was time to move to 17. Um, There were things we needed, and there were some classes we wanted to rewrite, which which we're doing now, and it required 17. Um, We also, at the um, hard request of the team, we finally last year dropped um, our auto tools build system. We had been maintaining both an auto tools and a CMake, and this was causing a little bit of frustration doing two build systems. So we um, we let the auto tools go because that's what the team wanted, and it was the right choice. And since then, we've had several CMake people um, help us improve our CMake files. And um, actually, we had a chat with somebody just the other day. Um, 
Copper Spice has um, around 150 CMake files, and yeah, which is quite a lot. Um, but um, we, we had uh, part of the team doing the code review, and somebody decided to count. Um, so it's so it's around. <laughs> it it actually somebody said why do you have that many and and the truth is on a project like this because there's 11 different libraries with copper spice um putting too much that are standalone there's four there's four standalone and then in copper spice itself there's 11 um different libraries and so you it turns out you really don't want some of your CMIC files incorporating each one shouldn't incorporate everything. So breaking it apart into smaller libraries made a lot of sense, um, especially because like our maintainer of the network library, he wants to be able to change those CMIC files on his own and, and not need to run it through anyone else. So um, all the files went through a major rewrite in the past six months and about four people did the code review and, it is amazing how many different ways we had of spelling things. It's now consistent. <laughs> so we it, it is consistent across the board now. All right. So, yes. Um, so. so we don't want to have video stars on without talking about their, um, their video channel. So you have a YouTube channel that's just called Copper Spice. Yes. Yes. Um, yes, we do. <clears throat> and... Uh, uh, and Copper Spice came because that's your middle name. Where, where does Copper Spice come from? <laughs> well, Copper Spice uh, came out of the idea that we love to cook. And Ansel had a requirement that a library should be two different words put together that are spelled exactly as they sound and that no one else is using. And actually we went through every utensil and device in the kitchen. <laughs> I mean, there was a lot of permutations of pots and pans and things. And pepper spatula and... <laughs> and, and, pepper, and and nothing worked. And, and, then, and then we brought in the periodic table. We did. We brought in the periodic table, and I realized that cinnamon... Wasn't gonna wasn't gonna happen because I can't spell cinnamon, and, and nobody can agree on aluminum. <laughs> aluminum so that doesn't and work, and it's too bo- long anyway. Borium didn't make. Or, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing borium right. Um, but yes, when when we were like, okay, pan copper, and all of a sudden it was copper spice, and literally it was two in the morning, and. But the purpose, the point is, this is very Google. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it is very Google. Right. It's two words yes. that you know how to spell. You know how to spell. You put them together without a space. Yes. And it's the only thing in the entire universe that's called Copper Spice is your life. Actually, Copper Spice does have one other hit. It's an eyeshadow. I see. It's an eye. Sh- it's an eyeshadow color. But we find our users usually, usually don't get too. Confused yeah. Usually on our that. users know the difference <laughs> between programming <laughs> and if you put Copper Spice C plus plus, we're the first. Hundred hits, but that is the appropriate eyeshadow to attract C plus plus programmers. Is that? What I, we... I I do think, I think that so. I do think we will have to be distributing Copper Spice eyeshadow now um, after after this That's, after this podcast. Yeah, that would be a great yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. That'd be a great conference giveaway or something. Like that. That's, that's going to be the, the the new giveaway. All right. Yes. So so you can go on YouTube mm-hmm. and you can look up Copper Spice and you're going to find mm-hmm. your channel. Mm-hmm. And uh, what did you say? You have forty videos up now. There's about forty five, forty six, forty six, forty seven. Um, we we do one one once a month and. Um, 
which so they're moderately short they're not like a full session uh easy to consume over lunchtime yes and still get your lunch in the, under 20 minutes for the most part right? yeah many of them were about 12 to 18 we're, we've been trying to make them about 10 but we tend to find too much to say sometimes um, I can't understand that. I know you wouldn't. Yeah, it's <laughs> you, you start to talk and you're going, oh, I want to say this. Um, right. What's nice is um, the videos, some are about Copper Spice, some are about C++. We have one about copyright. We did one about um, the C++ ISO standard. So um, because we were getting confused on on how is the ratification, how is all that done? And we talked with a couple people, did some research. So if somebody's going, well, how does this process work? And what are the different subgroups? Um, we did a pretty good job, I think, of documenting, you know, the standard. All right. So, mm-hmm. so the topics aren't specific to your code, mm-hmm. but they may be about your library. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In other words, you're, you're kind of just generally of things that are going to be interesting to see plus plus products, mm-hmm. which is, of course, our audience. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah well, yeah, and often uh, the topic will just be, oh, here's a snippet of code that mm-hmm. we were working on as part of working on Copper Spice, but let's talk about it in a C context. Mm-hmm. What are the tools we're using here and how do they work? Mm-hmm. So, what are the pitfalls? What are the advantages? Yeah. What's the inside? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looks like uh, you have made a change here kind of recently, which is to set up all these different. Uh, Playlist, right? Yes, we reorganized the playlists um, so that it would be easy for people to find. We did a three-part video very early on, um, which is which which gets the most hits. There's three different um, videos that cover data types, semantics, um, all, all the initial stuff that somebody moving to 11, 14, or 17 would want to see, or somebody just coming back to the language. We've had a lot of people that said, I could not figure out move semantics. And so there's three videos there on the beginning of the playlist of C++. They're some of the most popular in terms of... So it looks like, here's the, here's the playlist. Yeah. Uh, there's one that is Copper Spice. Obviously, mm-hmm. these are going to be talked specifically about that library. Yeah. Uh, and then C++, and that's what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Modern C++ from the beginning to the middle. Yes. And a series on that. Uh, and then other things that are specifically that people And then there's a C17. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And then there's one on graphics. So you guys get a talk specifically on graphics, including text rendering and things like that. Yes, we did several videos on that. Um, that was in combination with our newest uh, library, which is CS Paint. CS Paint is a wrapper for the Vulkan API because nobody could use it. Uh, <laughs> CS Paint wraps it. And then there is yes. the multi-threading, yes. which I assume you're going to talk about things related to LibGuard, yeah, if not necessarily specifically about LibGuard, yeah. but um, mm-hmm. uh, those kinds of things. And then there's a uh, DoxyPress mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for people who are wanting to use DoxyPress, mm-hmm. I assume. Uh, it, it is an intro to DoxyPress, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so how is the channel overall going? Is this... Uh, getting you the kind of response you were looking for or what, what kind of response are you getting from being video stars now? <laughs> I think one of the neatest was somebody making a comment saying, English is not my first language and I could almost understand what you said, <laughs> which, which is really good. And I, I thought it was a fabulous comment because he, he's a C++ programmer. And yeah, if you're struggling with 
you know, whatever language you're speaking, if you can actually watch a video and make sense of it and learn something, that seems like we, we accomplished what we wanted. We also really thrive on, on feedback of all kinds. And we love some of the YouTube comments that we get. I know some, some uh, broadcasters don't always (laughs) read their We we do like the comments. This may be the only, the only time in the history of the universe where people say, I love my YouTube comments. (laughs) We do. We, we got a comment from a viewer, which was, I consider one of the high points of our, our career was when somebody said, I didn't understand this topic. I still don't understand it, but now I know enough to Google for what I need. (laughs) I thought that's, that's great. That's you're started now. You can, you can find where you're going now. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Speaking of where we're going now, we're going away because we've run out of time here. Um, did you uh, did you have anything? I've been dominating everything <laughs> again, Bill. Uh, did you have anything you wanted? To- <laughs> I think the moments have passed. Mm-hmm. Actually, um, there, there was one thing I did want to say. So as well as all these videos on YouTube, there's a, a number of videos of talks that you've done at conferences. Uh, some of them have been very popular as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the first one that I saw was on uh, was on LibGuardian, actually. Yes. I saw you in uh, up in Aspen, mm-hmm. C++ now a few years ago. But uh, more recently, you've been getting a lot of success with your um, uh, undefined behaviour. Yes, talk. yes. Obviously, we don't have time to dig into that subject now, but you've got like a couple of sentences to say about your, your position on undefined behaviour before we wrap up. Um, it's, um, what's amazing to us is that talk is actually on the SG20 list. Mm-hmm. That was quite stunning to us and exciting. Uh, we've given this talk several times. I think we actually might know the material now. <laughs> Having, having done it six or seven times, um, we, we did a, a live version at Code Dive. Um, so, so that was, was really good. It is one of the first talks we did, um, at CPPCon that was absolutely just C. And I think it's what showed people that we're not just library people. We're, we're actually programmers. <laughs> um, and stuff. Library. That, that may be. We aren't just library people. We're actually programmers. Uh, we may have an episode title there. The, the, yep. And Ansel did want to. Uh, I, I will mention. Have, um, yeah. We did want to mention a change that has come recently in yes. Copper Spice um, that we wanted to tell everybody about. We now offer a paid subscription policy for companies who are interested in supporting the development of Copper Spice and in turn getting priority support for their questions and feedback and things like that. Um, We now offer a paid subscription. All the information about that is available on our website. And if you're interested in being a part of the project and or potentially guiding our direction, that's a great way to go about it. Yeah, it's a a tiered support. It's all there. Um, We we had a a subscription policy, but we made it official and put it on the website. So okay, that's terrific. Yes. Um, uh, You know, I I, as I'm looking at your channel, I don't see the. I don't know if you can add other videos to your playlist because I was wondering if you had other conference videos that you've done. Oh, you could add those right to your playlist. I don't know if you can do that. We. I, I don't. Can you add other? Yeah, because videos that aren't in your channel to your playlist. We have done an undefined behavior talk 
on our YouTube channel, but it's like a 10 or 12 minute. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously the, the ones at the conferences are an hour. Um, yeah. I, or, or longer. Yes. Depending on, or longer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on how much we ramble. So there's, there's actually three or four different videos that are out there on the internet. And, um, we're open to giving the undefined behavior talk again, but, um, we may have to retire that one and move on to other talks. So, all right. Have you submitted to uh, Aspen for this year? Um, I, I'm sorry. I think the audio cut out a little bit there. <laughs> um, um, we're, we're not sure about that. We, we did a lot of conferences last year. We're still organizing 2020. I think that's what year it is. Yeah. I think we're still recovering. We're still recovering from last year. But, hey, you're not alone in that. But we're, we're, we're open to... But we've got to put conferences on in 22. So... Uh, <laughs> Yes, we we are we are still open to going to Aspen if if that's an offer or anything. We're we will happily entertain that and stuff. All right. Uh, well, get your submissions in. Yes. All right. Okay. So we need to uh, wish everyone safe coding, and I think uh, one way of doing that is convincing people that they should be using LibGuarded, whether it's it's the same thing. CS LibGuarded or Boost LibGuarded. We can discuss that later. Yes. Uh, anyway. So uh, please join me in wishing everyone uh, safe coding. Safe coding. Safe coding. Safe coding.